from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please join me in the call to worship. Arise, shine, for your light has come. We are called out of darkness into light. Lift up your eyes and look around. We rejoice in the gift of light. Come, let us worship the God of light and joy and peace. We come to kneel at the cradle of the babe, the light incarnate. Please turn with me in your pew Bibles to Psalm 84, which can be found on page 513 in the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs indeed and faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are in the highways of Zion. As they go through the valleys of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Their early rain also covers it with pools. They go for, from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayers. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lauren, for that beautiful reading of Psalm 84. Our second scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 through 40, and can be found on page 55 of the New Testament in your pew Bibles if you want to follow along. Listen again for how God may be speaking to you through God's holy word. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples." a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be a different people than those who came into this sacred space uh, this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I told this uh, story that I'm about to tell, I think about two years ago, but I couldn't resist telling it uh, this morning, uh, given that today is the day that we are launching, going live with our long-range strategic plan. Uh, Many years ago, Albert Einstein found himself traveling on a journey by train, and as the conductor boarded his car, he noticed as he came toward the great scientist that that Dr. Einstein was fumbling through his, his pockets, that he was looking for something. And Dr. obviously thought he was looking for his ticket. He said, sir, I know who you are. You don't have to show me your ticket. Einstein completely ignored him. He continued to search his pockets, but to no avail. The conductor said once more, sir, I know who you are. There is no reason to show me your ticket. Einstein continued to ignore him. At this point, he got down on his hands and knees, an undignified posture for such a great man. And the conductor became embarrassed that that there was Dr. Albert Einstein scouring the floor looking for something. He said, sir, I know who you are. I don't need to see your ticket. Einstein peered up at him and said, Sir, I know who I am too, but I need to find my ticket because I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) One of the great gifts of our long-range 
a strategic planning process, a process that spanned the majority of the 2016 calendar, was the opportunity to engage and be engaged by these two critical questions. Who is God calling us to be? And where is God taking us? Who are we? And where are we going? Since January 2016, these two questions guided the faithful work, the, the congregational engagement, the prayer, the discernment, the vision, the hopes, the conversations that were had by our entire community of faith and facilitated by this 11-person long-range strategic planning team. What you received this morning in your pews, and I want you to take these home. There's a copy for each household. It looks like this. It's the long-range strategic plan. I know, just a side note. You're going to be looking at it now for the rest of the sermon, all right? You just look at the cover. It's pretty. All the rest you can get to in a little bit, okay? It's also online. But this is our proverbial ticket. Tells us who we are in this time, in this place, and it gives us some insight on where we are going. We entitled the plan On the Way to 175. The horizon is the year 2023, the year we celebrate our 175th anniversary as a congregation on this day, January 8th, 2023, to be exact. Now, the plan itself is made up of three interconnected components there is our new mission statement. There is a value statement, and then you will find our goals and our action plans. Over the next six years, our expectation is that by God's sovereign grace, that we as a church will use this ticket to constantly remind ourselves who we are. But what is more, where God is calling us to go as a congregation. We will use this plan. It will be a living document. It's not going on some shelf. It will continue to guide our decisions, our priorities, and how we tend to our human and financial resources. From this Sunday until the final Sunday in February, we're going to have a sermon series. Surprise. We're going to have a sermon series that will engage this plan by focusing on the 12 values, sort of as our headings. And these 12 values are really broken up into four different uh, zones, four different areas. We have the value of community, the value of love, the value of transformation, and the value of servant leadership. My hope is that the preachers who will preach in this series will begin to connect the dots between the scriptures, our mission, our values, And what exactly we believe, we feel called, God is leading us into as it it regards our future. One of the key questions on the the congregational survey, and I want to thank many of you who who took time to fill that out. It was more of an unconventional survey. It wasn't a preference survey. It really was a a faith survey. It was to try to get at who we are as a church and why we're still a part of things. One of the questions, and I'm paraphrasing it, went something like this. What has been a key factor in you continuing to make First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta your church? What's been the reason? What's been the difference as to why you have made this place, this congregation, your church? And from a thematic perspective, many of the responses that came to us centered around the notion of home, of home. People said, First Press is my home. 
First Presbyterian Church is like my family. Some said First Presbyterian Church is my family. I don't have anybody else. This church family is my family. Some people said when I'm in the sanctuary or when I'm in the chapel or when I'm, when I'm in Fifefield Hall or, or even when I just see the intersection of 16th and Peachtree and I look at the spire and I, and, I, and I look at the building, I know I'm in the presence of God. I know that this is where God's people gather to be formed so they can be sent out into the world for the sake of God's mission. This congregation for many has been and will continue to be a place we can call home, a place to belong for a lifetime of faith. This notion of belonging is deeply connected with this idea of what it means to make or value First Presbyterian Church as a spiritual home. Grace Davy is a, is a British scholar. She's attributed with, with coining the phrase uh, belief without belonging. Maybe you've heard this before. It has, a, it has a second cousin that goes something like this. I'm spiritual but not religious. Belief without belonging. She uses the phrase to describe our, our religious intuitions today where many, many, many people, over 95% believe that there is a God. They believe but they don't belong. They choose not to affiliate. They choose not to join. They choose not to be members of a faith community. They believe, but they don't belong. We might say that this postmodern expression of faith is simply an, an outworking of, of our high-level individualism, right? Because it only takes an individual to believe something, but it takes a community to belong. It takes an individual to believe, but it takes a community to belong. And the Christian life, the Christian life is not just about belief. The Christian life is also about belonging. It's not just believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's about belonging to him. What is more, it's about belonging to his people. It's about belonging to his body, the church. It's not just about belief, it's about belonging. And this belonging shapes our worldview. It shapes how we make our decisions. It shapes uh, our stewardship and every facet of our lives. This belonging is the irreplaceable lens through which we might see where God is calling us to go and what God is calling us to do. And so as a congregation, we value this belonging. We value this notion of spiritual home. But not only that, we also value this idea of enduring commitment. That's our second value, enduring commitment. It's this idea that our faith actually organizes our life and not the other way around. That our faith orders our life, how we spend our time, how we worship, how we steward the financial resources God has put us in charge of, how we steward our time and and energy and imagination. When I think of enduring commitment, just as a concept, I'm, I'm thankful that the, the lectionary gave us the text from Luke today, that we landed on this text, because I don't think there is, there's many better examples of enduring commitment than what we see in the characters of Simeon and Anna, right? These faithful people who show us not just what it means to believe, but also to belong. And they show us what enduring commitment looks like. We're told that Simeon was righteous and devout. We're told that Anna was a prophet, which you should read here, preacher. She was a preacher. 
She was in the sunset years of her life. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer uh, every, every night and every day. Now, friends, we do want you to go home, right? Right? We, we want you to go out into the world because that's where God lives, not just on 16th and Peachtree, but God lives out into the world. But you get a sense of what the long-range strategic planning team in the session is thinking about when they're thinking about enduring commitment. We can look to Simeon, we can look to Anna as models of this kind of faith. These values led the team to be very thoughtful and intentional about how we organize the goals themselves. And you'll see this when you open it up and you have a chance to read it. But the first goal that we wanted to put out there, the first goal is a call for our members and our friends to deepen participation, to deepen participation. Now, let me be very clear here. We're not establishing some big brother type of review squad, okay, that will legalistically keep track of people's participation or lack thereof. What we're doing here is inviting our members and our regular participants to consider what it might mean to use our freedom, to use our choice to spend energy and time and resources in service of the kingdom of God, to move away from casual membership or casual participation, to live into the to the design of faith that calls us to be intentional, to begin to ask deeper questions about our participation here and what our membership might mean in this place. What, is it, what does it mean in my life? Does it even make one bit of difference? Does it shape the way I practice faith and life? And to that end, we are, we are inviting folks to consider four discrete, very measurable goals. The first one has to do with worship. And I know at some level I'm preaching to the choir because you're actually here today, but on average our worshipers who are coming are worshiping 1.8 times per month. 1.8 times per month. So we're encouraging and inviting folks to think about worship participation because what you worship is what you become. What you worship is what you will be formed into. And so we're encouraging folks to think about what it might mean to worship three times a month. Whether it's live in the sanctuary, whether it's staying connected online by watching worship or watching sermons online, to stay connected three out of four Sundays a month. If you're in Atlanta, we want you to be here. We want you to prioritize participation in worship. Number two, participate in a small group or a spiritual theological formation platform or some sort of Sunday school experience or Bible study at least two times a month to invest in your own spiritual growth and your education. You can do that in person or online. If you've not been on our website and have gone through our discipleship ministry pages or Emerging Generations pages, you're missing some great content and opportunities to grow in our faith. Number three, actively serve in at least one ministry area of the church for an average of at least one hour per week. Choir, you're, you're fine. You've eclipsed this, okay? But we're, we're, we're encouraging folks to think about what would it mean to give ourselves and our time one hour a week to a ministry of the church. And then finally, and, and I shared a little bit about this before the plan became public, knowing that it would be part of the plan but during our annual campaign season, I, I encourage us to think about what it might mean to make First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta our number one charitable giving place. Our number one 
that when it comes to our charitable giving, our financial generosity, that the church becomes the number one recipient, and that we look to what it means to give proportionally, starting with 3% of our annual household income, and then increasing it as we are able and as we feel called. Now, I want you to just keep these, these four invitations in the back of your head, and I want to say something that's a little more broad, kind of a 25,000-foot view about mainline churches in the 21st century. Churches like Presbyterians or Episcopalians, right? Lutherans, Methodists. You know, one of the biggest challenges facing these churches has been how the wide open front door neutralizes the wide open back door, or is neutralized by, rather, the wide open back door. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. The front door, right, is where we receive new members. The front door is where people come in to worship and to participate and to serve. And those numbers are growth numbers. It's what we see right in front of us. That's the front door. And the back door is where inactive members disappear. Think with me, uh, Kevin Costner's film, Field of Dreams. You know, when the White Sox, the Black Sox, begin to go out into the corn and they disappear, that's what the back door is like in a church. They're just, they're gone. They, they vanish. You know, we, we had to do some, some hard uh, number crunching. Hard, not in the sense that it was challenging to collect the data, but hard in what some of the data was telling us as a long-range strategic planning team. Because we realized that the main line problem is our congregation's problem too. Okay? Walk with me here. In 2007, I want to give a 10-year perspective. In 2007, we had over 2,500 members. 2,500 members. Okay? Today, we have 1,800 that's a 30% decrease, but that's not the whole story. Because since 2007, 10 years, we've brought in 766 new members. I mean, that's like seven times the average of one Presbyterian church. 766 people have joined. 93 joined just this year, the most since 2007. Now, of course, during that time, we have faithful saints that go on to their eternal glory. We had a little over 200, 215 to be exact, that died in that span. And then we had 425 members who told us that they were switching churches or they're moving out of town that we know about. So you add those numbers together and you've actually got a number in the black. It's a net increase of 126 members. And you think, wow, we're doing great. As a church, that's positive. We're outpacing all these other churches that continue to have negative numbers. But that's not the whole story. Because there's still that 30% gap. 882 members. 882 members. Since 2007, simply stopped participating. These weren't folks who reached out to us and told us that they were moving churches, or they were moving out of town. These are folks that just walked off in the cornfield. And then the session removes them from membership. Now our standard for participation, you want to talk about an open, wide front door, a wide open front door? Look, we mainliners, we love that. We want to be inclusive. We want to be tolerant. We want to have a wide open door. We want to make it so easy for people to come to be a part of this church and to be a member of this church and to be a, part, a participant of this church. You know, Inactivity, to have your name moved from the membership roles by the session, means that you have not come to worship in 24 months or given a single penny to the church. That's a wide open door. 882 people in the last 
10 years. That's a hard truth. Our back door has been wider than our front door by a ratio of two to one. Now, I was terrible in math in school, but that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. Now, now some then may see these, these first goals as somewhat counterintuitive, right? By, by creating expectations of members, aren't we, like, aren't we shrinking in the front door? Aren't we becoming less tolerant? If, we're, if, we, if we have invitations and expectations of our people, aren't we making it harder for people to participate? Aren't we going to turn people off? Let me just use this as an example, and I'll wrap up with this. The largest youth ministry, young adult ministry in the world doesn't happen in the United States. It actually happens in post-Christian Europe, in Taizé, France, in fact. Some of you know the Taizé community. We sing their songs often in worship. Uh, Taizé is known more, not just, not, it's not just known for, rather, their music. They're also known for their, the way they do intentional community. And 30,000 young people from across the globe, under the age of 30, descend on Taizé, France every year to live there for a week or a month at a time. And when you show up, you get three things. Number one, you get a schedule. You're told where to be, when to be there, and, and told what it is. Worship, Bible study, fellowship time, meal time, sleep time. Then you're given your roommate list, where you're bunking, where you're going to stay, and then you're given a job. You're going to be on kitchen duty. You're going to be in the choir. You're going to be ushering. You're going to be doing grounds, right? You're going to go into the town and help the indigent and the poor. You're given a job. And you would think that such a regimented, dictated schedule would be a turnoff to folks, especially people under 30. But it has the opposite effect because they have a sense of purpose and they have a sense of belonging because people deep down, they don't want to be controlled, but they do like structure. They do like to know, we like to know what's expected of us and how we can contribute I mean, think about this just for a second. What healthy family do you know that doesn't have good expectations? What healthy choir do you know that doesn't have good expectations, clear expectations? What company do you know of that doesn't have expectations? If you know a company like that, it's probably an unhealthy company. I had to drive the airport a couple times this weekend. You see Delta's big sign, culture fuels our success. Well, in order to have a healthy culture, you have to have what? Expectations of what it means to participate. I mean, how many systems do you know of where if you're going to be a part of it and you're going to find meaning, where it's void of expectations? And yet, why do we not put it out there for the church? I mean, after all, we're talking about the most important relationships you can ever be in. Love of God, love of neighbor, love of self. We're talking about the most important enterprise known in human history, the gospel of Jesus Christ and a witness to his life, death, and resurrection and the power to bring life out of death. Why wouldn't the church have expectations? Why wouldn't we go out there and say, this is what it means to be us? You think, well, that's, gonna, that's just going to widen the back door. I think it's quite the opposite. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it closes the back door because people know exactly what they're valued for and what they're worth and what their job is and what their role is and what their meaning and belonging and sense of purpose is. And so, friends, as we continue on in this journey, unpacking, 
unpacking this wonderful document that I have so much hope for and so much excitement for. As we continue on, let us consider what it means to actually participate and what it means to call ourselves a member or a friend of this congregation. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. And all of God's people say, Amen. Let's be reminded that God just doesn't live here at 16th and Peachtree Street. That God is out lighting the dark corners of the world. And that we've been called to participate in what God is doing. So for that journey ahead, may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen. Thank you.